So Jesus, ask that you would speak to us this morning from your word and help us to see what you are doing in the world, what you are doing in our lives, what you are doing in our hearts. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, I want to start by telling you about somebody that I am just getting sick of. His name is me. And I have known him for a long time. And me, he is just a needy, needy guy. When me was in college, he said all he needed to be happy was a good job, a wife, and some cool kids. Well, he got those things, but as it turns out, he wanted more. And every time he got more, he wanted something else. And if everything doesn't go just right, me gets really upset. In fact, I have been kept up many a night by the needs and worries of me. Me isn't quite happy today. Me didn't get everything he wanted today. Me is just such a needy, needy guy. I'm getting sick of me. Are you getting sick of me? I mean, not me, me, but you know, you're me. My life is like an opera singer warming up. Me, 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 me. Do you ever want to get out of the confining, constant, unending neediness of me? Well, in the scripture we read today, Jesus gives a way out of the confining prison of me and mine into the wide open heart of God, where there's just more room to move around. And the scene is that Jesus has been raised from the dead, and the disciples say, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, what they really mean by that is, Jesus, this resurrection stuff is really cool. We can really beat the Romans now. Death can't even stop you. So we're going to kick them out now, right? In other words, our agenda, Jesus not yours. And Jesus says, that is not for you to figure out. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Power. That's good. Power to get what I want. Maybe be your vice messiah. Hmm? No. You will be my witnesses. Oh. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, Jesus has a plan to rescue the whole world, not just kick out the Romans from Israel in first century Palestine, but to rescue the whole world. And we get to be a part of it. And that's what the whole Bible is about. As you know, we've been going through the scriptures this year in chronological order. And the Bible's plot is simple. God never gives up. It is all about God's great pursuit of us to rescue us and his world from the devil's clutches. So let me do a quick review of where we've been so far in God's great pursuit. God started by calling one man, Abraham and his descendants to carry his message of redemptive love to the whole world. But instead, they ended up slaves in Egypt until Moses and Joshua led them to the promised land, where they became a nation state under David, meant to exist not just for themselves, but to partner with God in bringing his kingdom to the world. But if you remember, they didn't do that. Instead, they ended up in a civil war, and the nation divided in two, the northern and the southern kingdom. And kings came and went in both kingdoms. Almost all the kings were terrible and really messed things up. So at the same time, God sent prophets to tell the people how much better life would be if we just did things God's way. And the people listened and responded with joy, right? Wrong. You've been listening. They didn't do what the prophets said. They ignored the needs of the poor. They sacrificed their children to idols. Then in 722 BC, the Assyrians wiped out the northern state of Israel, the northern, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel. And then again in 586 BC, the Babylonians conquered the southern kingdom, took the Jews into captivity for 70 years, then they returned, rebuilt their country, and then for 400 years, empires came and empires went, 
Finally, they were conquered by the Romans. But then, in a barn, in Bethlehem, a baby was born to two teenage peasants. God himself entering this world to continue, as Jesus, to continue his great pursuit of us. And Jesus was the D-Day invasion of God to planet Earth. He was the beginning of the end of the devil's plans, but Jesus is not done yet. And that's what the book of Acts is about. And you see it in the very first line, where it says, In my former book, Theophilus, the former book is the Gospel of Luke. Luke is the writer. And don't worry about who Theophilus is. Just some guy. Not on the test. Don't worry. (laughs) I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Began to do. He's not done. He's not done. He's got way more that he wants to do, and he wants to do it through you and me. And that's part of why he left, so that we could have the adventure of being part of his rescue operation to this world. And that's what the book of Acts is about, where the early Christians move out into the world, and they bring healing and reconciliation and racial justice and relief to the poor and all kinds of good things in Jesus' name. And we are called to continue that rescue operation. Now, if you're like me at this point, you might be asking the question, sounds good, love to be part of God's rescue operation to the world, but if I am, what's in it for, let's finish that sentence together, me. That's just human nature, right? Just even the most generous people ask that question. I have a friend who tells a story about a pastor in his church named Carl, and Carl just loved to serve. He would sacrifice anything to serve someone else except basketball. See, he went to the University of North Carolina and he bleeds Carolina blue. And a few years ago, Carl was the on-call pastor at his church carrying the emergency beeper. And one night during the final four, in a nail-biter between UNC and Utah, these pranksters from his church paged him to play a joke on him. (laughs) Evil people, right? Cruel and unusual pastor punishment. So Carl called the pranksters back, and they made up this long story of needing immediate pastoral care. And Carl said, oh, could I call you back in like 15 minutes? I'm having kind of a family emergency of my own, right? (laughs) Which was half true, because Carolina was losing to an underdog. But the pranksters would not let him go, and they said, Pastor, is that a TV I hear? Are you watching TV during my crisis? Carl got so flustered, he hung up. Okay, that's like pastoral care 101. No hanging up on parishioners. (laughs) Like just basic stuff, right? And he called him back, found out it was a prank, right? Even Carl, who loves to serve from time to time, asked the question, but what about me? Well, let me make a list. If we are part of God's rescue operation, we get adventure. We get significance. We make a difference and know that we have mattered. We make deep friendships along the way, some of the deepest you'll ever make is when you are part of God's rescue operation. We get to be part of something big. But maybe the most significant thing is we get out of the prison of me, which in our culture is an epidemic. Back in September, I showed you this Newsweek cover. And I said, what if this became a reality? What if the East Side was so transformed that we were known as God, the new God's country? That it was just things were done here the way God would want them done. What if the poverty rate plummeted because Christians were out there giving people a hand up, not a hand out? What if so many people knew Jesus, there weren't enough space in churches to hold them all in unchurched King County? 
What if the divorce rate dropped because husbands and wives, through the power of Jesus, had fantastic marriages? Not that they just didn't get divorced, as though that were the goal, right? So that your tombstone could say, well, at least we didn't get divorced. You know, live large, right? But they had great marriages. And what if all of that happened? And then the press came to find the government program that did all of that. And they discovered it was simply Christians taking Jesus seriously. And they'd be forced to write that Newsweek cover, or better yet, a feature story on NPR. <laughs> Why not? Right? God has done all of these things in the past. He's doing these things now in our church and other churches all around the world. Last week I was in the Philippines with a group called Compassion International ministering to the poorest of the poor in our world. And yet I saw God transforming entire towns through the power of Jesus. He has done it before. He can do it again. And don't you want to be part of something that big? Wouldn't you want to be a part of something that big. And it will take three things to get us there. The first thing we need is holy discontent. Jesus had a holy discontent about the way that sin wrecked our world, and so he set out to fix it. William Wilberforce had a holy discontent about the slave trade, and so he ended it. Millard Fuller, in our own day, had a holy discontent about homelessness, so he started Habitat for Humanity. What makes you pound your fist on the table or brings a tear to your eye? And are those the same things that make Jesus pound his fist on the table and bring a tear to his eye? Because you see, there's a difference between just general discontent, you know, my latte is cold, where's God when it hurts, right? And that's me, not you, right? That's the trouble with me, right? And holy discontent, holy discontent, where our hearts break for the things that, make, that break the heart of God. What is that for you? Is it AIDS? Kids without caring adults in their lives? Poverty? Is it marriages that fall apart? It's what Pastor Bill Hybels calls the Popeye syndrome. Popeye, for those of you who are too young to remember this, when I was a little, little kid, there was this cartoon on TV called Popeye. And if you remember, Popeye had a girlfriend named Olive Oil, who was always running off with his rival, Brutus. So some issues in their relationship, right? And Brutus would beat up on Popeye for the whole show until at the end, Popeye would eat some spinach, get super strong, and beat up Brutus and get olive oil back. Though why he wanted her, I could never figure out. <laughs> and right before he'd eat the spinach, he'd say the same thing. I've had all I can stand, I can't stand no more. Okay, Popeye had issues. Right? There were some grammar problems. <laughs> and a mesh codependent relationship with olive oil. But that phrase is a good one. I've had all I can stand. I can't stand no more. What makes you say that? That's holy discontent. And when we let it fire us up, that is the beginning of transformation. The second thing we need is holy vision. Jesus had a vision of a world transformed. Do you have a vision? When you look at your children, when you look at your office, when you look at your community, do you see what God sees? Do you hear what he hears? Do you feel what he feels? Because when you do, it spurs you to action and you become a difference maker. Folks, I believe God wants to do that Newsweek cover. I don't think that's just pastor talk trying to be inspiring. I believe he's doing it. Conditions are right. Churches in the, on the east side are working together like we have never worked together before. City governments are looking with favor, not suspicion, on churches. It's like the days of Nehemiah, he wants to revive the east side. And when we see it, when we feel it, when we hear it, it will happen. We need holy vision. And then the third thing we need is the Holy Spirit. 
That's why in the text we read, Jesus says to his disciples, don't leave Jerusalem until you get the Holy Spirit. Because reviving the east side is not something we can do on our own steam. We need to join with other churches, but more than that, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. And to me, this is where this gets really exciting. Because wouldn't it be cool to be part of something that cannot be explained by the fact that we're a big church with lots of talented people? Wouldn't it be cool to be part of something that is so impossible that when it happens, the only explanation is Jesus? So for the next five weeks, we're starting a campaign called Deeper Impact, where we are inviting all of us to, to go deeper in our faith and deeper in our partnership with Jesus in what he's doing in the world. And the things that we have done as a church up to this point, they have been fantastic. The Jubilee Service Day, the Jubilee Reach Center, where hundreds of needy families are given tools to get out of poverty in Jesus' name. And now our elders and pastors have discerned God calling us to take another step, to go a little deeper, to get a little more personal, a little more hands-on in three ways that I'm going to invite us to. The first is this. Some of you may feel called to personally walk alongside a family or an individual in need as a peer or mentor. Maybe a family in poverty, maybe an at-risk teen. Walk alongside them, love them, help connect them to the resources they need to thrive or to stop making decisions that are hurting their lives. A second invitation would be to be part of a resource team, sort of like auto angels that fixes cars for folks who can't afford it. But if the east side is going to be transformed, we need lots of resource teams, medical, legal, especially, mental health resource teams. And if you have those skills, maybe you want to be part of a resource team. Or a third option will be to partner with Jesus in bringing his kingdom in your home, your office, or your neighborhood as his ambassador. And that means more than just being nice to your coworkers and saying you go to church. Okay, it means deliberately partnering with the Holy Spirit minute by minute, looking for opportunities in your office or your neighborhood to bring up there, down here. And we're going to train you how to do that. Those are three areas we're inviting people into as a next step to partner with Jesus in his transformation of the east side. Now, some of you are already doing some of this stuff. Others of you right now, you already may be feeling God nudging you to be part of one of these three things. You're not doing it, but you're looking at that going, hey, maybe God wants me to do that. And on May 16th, at the end of this campaign, we'll have a time of commitment and prayer and commissioning as part of our worship service for those of you who feel nudged to do this. And the rest of us, we're going to pray for you and send you in God's name. Now, for some of you, this isn't going to be what God's doing in your life. It's not the right season or whatever. That's fine. Others of you may be called to bring God's kingdom in some other way in this church or elsewhere. I encourage you to talk to our Get Connected folks in the lobby to find out all the ways there are. But for some of you, God may already be nudging you, and if you want to know more about it, you can find out about it in the lobby after the service. Now, you may look at that, and you may be thinking, well, ooh, that sounds hard. I can't walk with a family in need. I can't mentor an at-risk teen. I don't know how. I'm scared. Well, here's the good news. We'll train you. We'll equip you. We'll support you so that you'll feel more able to do it. But, and this takes me back to point three, you still won't be fully able to do it on your own, even after we train and equip you and support you. And here's the cool part. This is the really cool part, you overcompetent, overachieving Eastsiders, of which I'm one. <laughs> you can't do this, and neither can I. Isn't that inspiring? <laughs> We're going to have to learn how to rely on Jesus to do this. We're going to have to learn to rely on him. Our tagline for this is, so much healing and wholeness, the only explanation can be Jesus. 
so much healing and wholeness, the only explanation can be Jesus. And wouldn't it be cool to be part of something that clearly was his doing, not ours? The Bible calls that a miracle. And wouldn't it be cool to be able to say, I know that I know that Jesus is real because look what he did. And in order to do that, we need to rely on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is like a moving sidewalk. We're walking, but he takes our efforts and speeds them up and makes them more powerful. Now, I know I just said a mouthful, and in the weeks to come, I'm going to unpack all of this. I'm going to talk about what all of this means. This is just kind of the introduction. But for, the, for, just, for just right now, would you start by praying this prayer? Holy Spirit, come and fill us up. In fact, on May 11th, we're going to have a prayer and worship night in the upper campus. Encourage you guys to be there. There'll be a band. We'll sing. We'll celebrate. We will pray for the east side. There's not going to be a dull prayer meeting. We'll celebrate. We'll worship. We're going to pray the power of the Holy Spirit down into our lives and into this world. It'll be sort of presbycostal or penitarian. You, <laughs> you pick. Whichever you prefer. We are going to pray that Newsweek cover into existence. Because when that happens, and we are part of it, here's what we get. Adventure, community, significance, joy. But what I find the most appealing right now is out of the prison of me into the wide open heart of God where there's just more room to move around. C.S. Lewis says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not thinking of yourself at all. Doesn't that sound freeing? I mean, doesn't that sound great? I don't know about you, but I would love to stop thinking about myself all the time, right? Which I do a lot of. I think we all do, right? It's second nature. I mean, it starts when we're kids. I see it in my own kids, right? The other day, my six-year-old daughter was writing a letter to one of the children that we as a family have sponsored in Indonesia. And this is what she wrote. Dear Wickley, congratulations on your brother's wedding. Anyway, my birthday is in June. I'll be having a pool party. I will be seven. And on and on it went. Now, I know it's hard to know what to write in a letter, and good for her for doing it, but I just love the quickness of the transition, right? Enough about you, on to me. Now, who do you think she learned that from? You're right, her mother. But how freeing to reverse that line, enough about me. How about you? And how about what God is doing in our world? In preparation for this campaign, I asked some of our staff to scour the congregation for stories of how God is already at work among us. And there are so many. It is part of what I love about you, many things I love about you as a church. One of, one of them is these. You serve so sacrificially. One of the stories came from a man named Doug, who has mentored several at-risk youth in Eastside Academy, which is not easy to do. Often they're trying to get off drugs. They've been kicked out of other schools. Eastside Academy is their last stop. And I called to ask if I could share his story with you, hopefully to inspire you. But the day I called, his wife said, oh, he's in Yakima visiting his mentee who's in rehab again. And I thought, ooh, there goes the inspiring story. That doesn't sound good. So when Doug called me back, my first question was, so is it worth it, all this sacrificial serving? And he said, oh, it is so worth it. It is the best thing I've ever done. And he said, I've always wanted to help people, but help them in a way that didn't just you know, give them money, but actually helped them get out of poverty. And he said that he had planned to be a mentor all of his life, but that he planned to do that after his own kids were out of the house so he'd have more time. But then he said that his kids, who are now in high school, let him know in not-so-subtle ways that they didn't need a helicopter dad hovering around them and that, no, really, he should do it now. So he started mentoring at-risk teens. He has had three of them so far. And he said, this is the most important and rewarding thing I've ever done. 
He said it's been great for his own kids who themselves are learning how to serve by watching him. But he said it's also been great to see some of his mentees change and develop. Now that doesn't always happen. Sometimes they don't change. But one of his has. One of them is now in Bellevue College pursuing an engineering degree. Well, the day I called him, Doug said that today was a big day. I went to visit my current mentee, who's in rehab, because his parents wouldn't do it, because they're in rehab too. And he said it was so exciting to be the one to give him the unconditional love that he needed. And the, the, day, that that, the day that happened to be was the day before Easter, and Doug said, you know, it brought the whole meaning closer to home. Because of Jesus, we all have second chances. Our past doesn't matter. He's given us a future, and I was able to tell this young man that as he's there in rehab. And he said, this is my purpose. Parenting was too, but this gets me beyond me and mine. It makes me less selfish, and it's brought me closer to God. He said, I continually get these pings that I know are from God telling me that I am in the right spot. He said that one cool moment was when he found out that one of his mentees had to go to rehab, and the mentee did not want to go because he couldn't pay for it. It was $5,000. Well, a few days later, Doug picked this young man up after this guy had been to a movie, and he said this young man was on cloud nine. He was so excited because he had just seen the movie Pay It Forward about when someone does something nice to you, you don't pay him back, you pay it forward to someone else. And this kid was so excited because of the movie, but he'd also just found out that an anonymous donor had offered to pay for his rehab. And he said to Doug, now I know I'm going to have to pay this one forward, and I'm going to do that when I get out of rehab. So when Doug visited in rehab, he asked, do you still want to pay it forward? And this kid said, absolutely, that's what I'm going to do. And Doug said, I was just close to breaking out crying. He said, I don't have a lot of money, but this I can do. It's not easy. It's two steps forward, one step back. It's frustrating. He said, sometimes I'll arrange to meet with a mentee, and sometimes they just forget and don't show. But he said, I love the no-shows. And I said, why? And he said, because as I'm sitting there waiting for someone who's not going to show up that day and thinking to the rest of the world, this must look like a huge waste of time, he said, and this is a direct quote, then I asked myself, what better thing could I be doing right now with my time? And the answer is always, absolutely nothing. On the east side, where time is more precious than money. That sounds to me like a man who is getting out of himself into the wide open heart of God. And he is finding freedom and joy and life and adventure and he is part of God's transformation of our community. So where is God nudging you? Maybe it's to become part of deeper impact in one of those three areas as a peer mentor or a re part of a resource team or to purposely seek to bring God's kingdom in your home, your office or your neighborhood. Or maybe it's in some other way, with a friend or in this church somehow. But wherever it is, whenever we respond to Jesus' call, it is hard. It requires sacrifice. It may be the most difficult thing you ever do. There will be times of frustration. But it also gives us life and it gets us out of me. Without exception, all of my highlight moments, all of my moments of deep connection to others, of satisfaction and joy, have all come as I have participated with Jesus in his rescue operation to this world. And no accolade, no amount of money, not the best vacation I ever had, not the most adrenaline-filled rock climbing trip I ever took can even compare to the peak moments I have had being part of God's rescue mission to this world. So this week, as we start this five-week journey called Deeper Impact, will you start this week by doing this one simple thing with me? Pray this prayer. It's from one of our modern worship songs, and it's printed in the bulletin. Lord, Heal my heart and make it clean. 
Open up my eyes to the things unseen. Show me how to love as you have loved me. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I have for your kingdom's cause. As I walk from here to eternity. You pray that prayer this week. And Jesus is going to set you free from the prison of need. So Lord, we do pray that prayer. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. Show us what you are doing in the world. Show us in a way that compels us out of ourselves and into your heart and into your mission and into your plan in a way that sets us free, in a way that transforms our community, in a way that makes that Newsweek cover a reality that makes your kingdom come and your will get done on earth as it is done in heaven. Please do this and we will point to you and we will let everyone know that it's because of Jesus that this happened. We pray this in your name. Amen.